Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. Well, hey, good morning, everyone. Excited to see you. Uh, Glad you're here, and man, just celebrating what God's doing. Amen? Awesome. What an awesome worship team. I just, I love uh, seeing everyone gathered together and really praising the Lord and Man, really an incredible event. I, I loved that video. Man, I, I, I don't have those skills, so people with those skills, just absolutely amazing. So that was super impressive. I love seeing that. Uh, we're very blessed that people have those skills and bless us with that time of filming and editing. So just want to say thank you. And thank you, everyone who's, who gives to Kingdom Builders and makes that possible and gives to the church and makes that possible. It really is a blessing to uh, hand out a couple hundred backpacks and school supplies and, and food and all kinds of things. Just love on our community and uh, be, be a source of encouragement and strength and, and support for our community. And uh, in every way possible, just find ways to say, hey, we love you and God loves you right? Uh, In fact, Katie mentioned that care team, and I really want to encourage you because, um, I don't know if you knew this, but there are many different giftings in the church, amen? There's many different ways people are gifted, and so I really want to encourage you because I would love to see just giftings unlocked, is that if you want to help serve on that care team, you know, maybe you're like, yeah, you know, I have the gift of hospitality, or I can cook a meal, or I'd love to just call someone up and pray with them. Uh, The more we can shepherd together, the better, and uh, so I just invite you, if that's something that you might even, uh, maybe you're even fearful about, but you feel even now God putting on your heart, and you're just a person of obedience, right? Uh, that you would just come speak to me or uh, Stephen Frankie at the end of service, and we'd love to uh, encourage you in in these opportunities of how we can love one another, right? And that the blessing where we can just love one another as the church, amen? Amen. Well, uh, I, I'm encouraged today. Uh, my Aunt Sue's here, so that's always really encouraging for me. She drove down. She's here. Uh, very blessed today to be continuing our series on friendship and the lost art of friendship. And I, I think this is a really important series. And sometimes, you know, we do more preaching or sometimes more teaching. This series is really heavier on teaching because I think there's so much about friendship um, that we are either missing or we're confused about or frustrated with. And I really want to encourage you that the end of today, my hope would be not that you feel guilted for not attaining some level of, of friendship with someone, but that you feel empowered that this moment is the moment where you can make choices to really seek deeper relationships full of the Holy Spirit. And so as we go through this series, I want to encourage you very gently, but, but, but with, with a confidence that it's not just enough just to hear and listen and go away, but that if we can seek the Lord together and say, God, would you transform my heart, and in transforming my heart, affect my actions, and in so doing by planting those seeds of obedience, see a harvest of joy in our life. And I want to see a harvest of joy in your life. I, I don't know if you ever asked yourself, why does Pastor Josh pastor the church? Why do this as a job? Is it just like it was the only thing he was good at? Uh, you know, there's a lot of money in it. Neither of those things are true. <laughs> uh, neither of those things are true. Um, I do it because I, I really do believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and the transforming power of Scripture and because I want to see you discover all that God has for you. 
because you might not know this, but God has an incredible plan and purpose for your life, and he has, has an unending amount of love for you. He loves you so deeply. So everything we do, I just want you to hear my heart, that sometimes when I'm preaching, if I'm very like firm or loud, it's still with that same love that I'm sharing this info, because I long to see us as a group be transformed and renewed. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, how many of you today would say, I wish I had deeper relationships with others? How many of you would say, just, you know, you ask that, if you're being honest, you ask that question, you say, man, I wish I really had, and I know there's lots of things that are going to pop in your brain, but I don't have this, I don't have time, I tried this. I'm just saying, just simple question, how many of you, in fact, let's be bold today. Let's be bold. Can we be bold today as a church? Let's be bold today. How many of you, by raise of hands, will say, I want deeper relationships in my life. I would love to have deeper relationships. Now, this is not convicting if you're like, no, actually, I feel great about my relationships. So you're, it's not like you didn't raise your hand, you're out of it. Just raise your hand again. I, I want deeper relationships. Now, look around and just look at the people around you and know they also agree. So most of the room, collectively, is like, I want deeper relationships. I don't know, you know, where you're going to end emotionally at the end of this sermon, but I hope that you end somewhere recognizing basically everybody in the room, for the most part, was like, I want deeper relationships, and that we collectively should say, we should probably do something about that, yeah. right? Right? If, we, if I said, how many of us have this one disease, and we said, all of us do, be like, we should probably address that. <laughs> so the question is, if I went deeper, I, I don't have as deeper relationships as I would like to have. It's no knock on the relationships, but I would love to have deeper relationships. I'd love to have some deeper relationships. Can I just encourage you that if, we, if, if you follow with me, I really believe that God's going to speak to your heart and transform your life, and we're going to believe for some deeper spiritual relationships. I know, I know some of you, you're like, I'm fine, I'm good. No, you're on that no new friends game. You're like, I'm good, I'm set. And that's totally all fine, totally, totally fine. But I just want us to kind of look at the numbers here and say that the numbers here, people who agreed, it, you line up statistically with the rest of the world. What you're experiencing is not a human anomaly. It's actually really common in the human experience, especially in this country. And last week I read you some stats. My goal was to read you enough statistics to uh, have us all go, wow, we should do something about that, but not so much many that were just like devastated. Everyone's just sitting in silence at lunch, just like, we're all going to be alone forever, right? <laughs> I don't want that to be our impression, but I want us to recognize the severity of the cultural issue we face, to recognize the severity of the relational deficit that we not only live in uh, in this post-COVID or whatever COVID world, but also that we've been living in for a long time. And it's almost as if COVID didn't create anything. It just kind of unearthed everything. It stirred it up. It shook up the jar of dirt, right? And now it's kind of everywhere. We're like, oh, okay, I don't know. We can really escape it. Because as we begin to look at relationships, we recognize that a lot of people don't have deep relationships, and yet we were inherently created to have deep relationships. I don't know if you know this, but you were created for deep, significant relationships. And last week, I, I gave you stats about the, the mental effect of chronic loneliness and the stats of the physical effect of chronic, chronic loneliness. That, that a study of 148 studies showed that being chronically lonely has a physical effect of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> 
So there's a physical, but there's something greater in that, that we have a spiritual longing because our spiritual, physical, mental, it's, it's, with, it's right here, right? I don't have like a spiritual costume I put on and a physical costume I put on and a mental costume. It lives in me. I got to deal with me every day. And so there's something in us that longs for more because we were created for more. And so last week, but I'm going to bring it up every week, there's an important foundational piece that everything I'm going to say today has to be built on. Are you ready? Do you know what it is? Someone, if you know what the foundation of everything is, shout it out. It's the church answer. Jesus. See, if you say Jesus, you can't go wrong. Because even if you're wrong, it's, it's still Jesus, right? <laughs> no, but it is. This one is actually Jesus. Jesus wants a relationship with you. Hear me. If you don't hear anything in this whole series, I hope you hear over and over and over and over and over again in this series that Jesus wants a friendship, a relationship with you. That God is relational. That the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, has interpersonal relationships. And since we were made in the image of a relational God, we are relational. Unfortunately for us, sin created a separation in that relationship because sin is a rebellion against God. It's setting ourselves up as God of our own life. It rejects the God of the sovereignty of the Lord. And since God will not force us to love him, regardless of our decision, right? He won't force us to love him. That creates a separation. But what's amazing is that God loves us and longs to have a relationship with us so much that he sends his son to die for us to pay our debt so that he might restore us into our intended created relationship. Are you still with me? So in Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's a relationship. He says, the life... I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I find this amazing. I don't know about you. I find this amazing that I'm raised to life. I'm raised into the resurrection, but I'm raised into a relationship, a relationship with Christ. I'm not raised to life and then hoping for a relationship. I'm raised into a relationship which is good news because it means I don't have to earn it, prove it, buy it. It means I'm raised into it by his sacrifice, his death, his resurrection, which means my new life is inherently relational because I walk the road of sanctification with Jesus. Okay, see, when you say sanctification, you have to explain what that means, right? Got, that, got those church words, got to explain. Sanctification, the, the, the act of being set apart or made holy some people might say, well, that's spiritual maturity. I mean, it's a lot of the same thing. It's about as we're walking with Jesus, he has a desire. And the desire is we would be sanctified. We'd become more holy. We would become into deeper relationship with him. But most importantly, there's a goal that we would grow to be more like him. Ephesians 4.14 says this. The goal is that so we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him, relational, who is the head, into Christ, Jesus. Our relationship with Christ, and if you knew this, it has a purpose. Believers, your relationship with God has a purpose to grow to be more like him, to grow to be more like him. Ephesians 4.13, right, it says the goal is the fullness of Christ. 
Well, it would make sense, right, that if our goal is to grow to become more like a relational God, that he wouldn't expect us to do that alone. That seems counterintuitive. If God's like, I'm relational, grow to be more like me, but don't be relational, that would be problematic, right? How can you grow to be the opposite of the thing you're going to be like? It's inherent in his nature that he's relational. And so very, very importantly and encouraging to us is he doesn't ask us to do it alone. Hear me this morning. God does not expect us. He does not expect you to grow into spiritual maturity alone. Some of you need to hear this to be encouraged because you think that what is necessary for your life is to become a certain level of spiritual so that you can be accepted by the believers around you. This is a deep irony I see in, in the church, and, and I talk to pastors and they see this all the time, and, and so don't feel weird if you feel this way. Many people feel this way, and I think that should actually encourage us because many people live in this state of thinking everybody else hasn't figured it out but them. And so everyone thinks they're on the fringe because they're, they have some kind of brokenness or struggle or difficulty or they have hard times or hard days. And so they got to get through those and over those and past those and then they can be like everybody else. I can't... I, I meet with you, so I know how many of you, but how many of us in the church feel like, well, everybody else is in and I'm out? Can I just tell you, we're all in by Jesus Christ. If you sideline yourself because of guilt, shame, or whatever it might be, that's up to you. Well, there's all those church people, and I don't know if they really get me. The great irony is I meet with them, and they say the same thing about you. You know why? Because they only see you at church. So you're a church person to someone else. You're like, no, I'm a rebel. No, you're not. You're a church person. Because yes. <laughs> they only see you at church. But we have this thinking. But the beauty of a life with Christ is that we're not called to do it alone. Think, you know, X, Y axis. Think vertical, horizontal, right? We are created to grow in a relationship with God. And yet we're also gifted as the church to grow in relationship together and together grow in a relationship to God. That God has gifted us with the Holy Spirit supernaturally to grow in a relationship with Him, but He's also gifted us congregationally to grow together and in so doing help each other grow more like God, which I'm thankful for because we need each other for that growth. So God, in the very creation of the church, did not expect you or even want you, hear me, even want you to do it alone. But he certainly did not expect you to do it alone. And if we're followers of Jesus, meaning we follow the things he said, then I, I think we should recognize one very clear thing, which is Jesus, who is the only person who could have lived life alone, chose to live life with others. Have you thought about that? The only person who was perfect who could have lived life alone chose to live life with other people, including one person who he knew was going to hand him over to be so messy people. He chose to live life with, we say, well, people are messy. People are people. Messy is just one of our facets. It's constant. But he chose to live life with people. So if you say, well, I follow Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. Well, then we would live our life with people. 
And sometimes that becomes overwhelming because we live in this media era where we think it's got to be 100 people. But can I just encourage you, the deeper Jesus got into his ministry, the less time he spent with more people and the more time he spent with less people. That Jesus, at the end of his ministry, is spending dedicated time with three people. I think that's a great number. <laughs> you don't need 30 best friends, but three friends is great. There's a 3-2-1 principle we're going to talk in friendship. Three people, two hours, one time a month. Believe that can change your life. But Jesus is relational. So for growing to be like him, that would make us what, church? Okay, if Jesus is relational and we're going to grow to be like him, I know, I, I got you. It was quick. It's quick. <laughs> if Jesus is relational and we're going to grow to be like him, that would mean we would be relational we just were occasionally Pentecostal I make you say stuff back I'm sorry <laughs> uh, we do have the chandeliers but no one swings from them <laughs> we're not that Pentecostal right it means we would be relational and I say that again not to put it on you know put down anybody but just to say that we rob ourselves of blessings we rob the church of the blessing of, of us and we rob ourselves of the blessing of the church when we don't pursue spiritual friendships, and we instead we try to walk this journey of sanctification alone. And it could be said, it could be said, that you cannot fully grow into being like Christ if you purposely or intentionally abandon part of his inherent nature, which is to be relational. Say, God, I want to be like you, but I don't want to be like you. Because the reality is we need spiritual friendships. We need friends who are united by more than just interest, more than just style, more than just who you follow online. We need friends who are united by a cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. We need things that are deeper than acquaintances. In two weeks, we're talking about how to make friends. And I wanna, I'm going to encourage you because there's some awesome things that the Word of God teaches us on developing relationships. But we all need friends who care about the way that we are becoming more like Christ. Amen? So let me define spiritual friendships. I've said that word a couple times. Let me define it here. Spiritual friendships are rooted in Christ, growing us to be more like Christ. Spiritual friendships are rooted in Christ, growing us to be more like Christ. They're not just any kind of friendship. They're a specific friendship. Are you with me? Yes. See, there's no shortcuts to friendship, but friendship is a powerful part of our spiritual maturity. And let's just be honest, they make life better. Life is better with friends. Anybody who's been alone for a season, like you're like, yes. Anybody who's had a friend for a season, you're like, yes. Collectively, friends make life better. Spiritual friendships make life better. They encourage us, they empower us, they strengthen us. And I think everyone, and I know that God believes that everyone should have somebody who honestly and truly longs to see you become everything God made you to be. And it's good for you to have spiritual eyes, to be rooting and supporting and graciously loving someone else, to be everything that God made them to be. That's a blessing. That's, man, that, that's a church worth not skipping, right? <laughs> to believe great things for each other. So I want to define spiritual friendship. You guys good with that? Yes. We'll have a microphone, so it's happening. 
<laughs> you could get up and leave. That'd be a hard flex for sure. <laughs> so if you need to go to the bathroom right now, just wait five minutes so no one thinks you're one of those people. <laughs> Somebody right now really has to go to the bathroom. <laughs> you're, you're stuck. You're stuck. Uh, but let's define spiritual friendships a little bit. What does it look like? And I got to say, it might be because it's my job, but I really love to look at Jesus as the model, hence follower of Christ. So I want to look at Jesus as the model of spiritual friendship because Jesus said, you're my friends. You are my friends. Where you're no longer master servant, you're my friends. So let's look together at uh, what is spiritual friendship. So let me define spiritual friends. First thing, if you write notes, you can write this down. Spiritual friends love one another going to have some points here today because it's more of a teaching. Spiritual friends love one another. Now, I read this last week, but again, as a reminder, John 15, 13, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then he says to them, you are my friends. And then he goes to the cross and lays down his life for them, which is amazing. That is an incredible example of friendship. And that's the basis for everything. And this is so important. Again, I go back to, like, if you don't hear anything in this whole series, hear this part, that Jesus Christ wants to be your friend. Everything we do is not to earn that friendship with Jesus, but to respond to that friendship with Jesus. Everything I do in a loving relationship should not be to earn love in that relationship, but to be respond to love in that relationship. That starts with first secure, being secure, because if I'm insecure, I'm going to try to earn. But if I'm secure, I'm going to recognize, man, that love is secure. So just hear me, in case you're insecure in this, hear me, there is nothing that you can do to make God love you more or less. Yeah, pastor, but no, listen. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you more or less. He loves you infinitely. It's immeasurable. He, can, he could not have gone farther to show that he loves you than giving his own life for you. There's no step farther. He loves you so much. And so what's amazing in spiritual friendship is they have a security because we love one another as Christ loves, which is awesome in a world of insecure friendships, <laughs> that there's a security and that what we're doing is kind of like what the moon does to the sun. We're just reflecting something that we've been given. You're just forwarding on the friendship of Jesus to others. Spiritual friendships just forward on. You're like, I don't feel like I have everything. I'm just forwarding on the security and this love and this sacrifice to others. I'm loving, right, when, when Scripture talks about married relationships, what does it say? Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's a forwarding on of the sacrificial love. That's a forwarding on of what, of what God has done. And so I love that about spiritual friendships because they're not rooted in some vague form of commitment, but they're rooted in sacrificial love. Don't try to create and build a spiritual friendship if you're not willing to sacrifice in love because that's the root. Okay, still with me? Okay, second thing today, spiritual friends accept one another. Spiritual friends accept one another. In Romans 15, 7, in talking about Christ, Paul says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Well, how has Christ welcomed you? How has he welcomed me? With arms wide open, like that old Creed song, right? We're down, brother, you know what I'm talking about, right? The old Creed song. I just dated myself, probably. I don't know. That song still hits. I don't care. Judge me. It doesn't matter. We are supposed to accept one another as Christ accepts us. <laughs> Some of you are like, what is he talking about? And that's okay. 
Christ has welcomed us with arms wide open. <laughs> with open arms. There we go. The disciples were not perfect, right? Right? They failed. And yet Christ welcomes and accepts and loves them toward growth. Church, many of us are afraid to let someone see our failures and faults. But the reality is if someone has not seen you fail and walk through failure with you, they're probably just an acquaintance you text. They might not be your friend. Because if you're around anyone for a period of time, you've seen them do dumb things and make mistakes and hurt you. And you know what I mean? Like, it's just inherent. We're not, like, excusing bad behavior. If you're a toxic person, it's not your excuse to be mean to your friends. That's not friendship either. But there's a reality in us that we have to be open and accept one another and be accepted because spiritual friends see and know our faults but choose to love anyways. You think Jesus did not know that his friends were broken before? That's why he came to die. (laughs) And yet he chose them to be his friends. He knew one of them was going to betray him to be brutally murdered and he washed his feet. He knew one of them was going to deny him and yet he washed his feet. That's the beauty of Jesus. He welcomes them in. And can I tell you, church, we should be the most welcoming of friends, the most embracing of friends, the most encouraging of friends. You say, yeah, but you know, what about behavior? Yeah, we'll get there. But first, man, let's accept one another. Can we do that? Let's accept one another. How good would it feel for you to begin a relationship and not have to prove that you should be accepted, but just celebrate God that you are accepted? That sound nice? That sound good? I think we should do like a white elephant gift of friendship, but let's all get each other the same thing, spiritual friendship, and just accept one another, right? (laughs) Accept our faults. How about you let somebody see your faults? Maybe the reason people are getting pushed away is you're overcompensating for not showing your faults and it's stressing them out. It's coming across as pride or arrogance. What if you just let someone see, ah, I make mistakes? That's okay, right? That's okay. Because importantly, in third, spiritual friends are loyal to each other. Someone say loyal. Loyal. I love that word. Anyone love that word, loyal? They're loyal to each other. In John 13, when Jesus is preparing the, the Feast of Passover, it says, When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, it says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Wow. What an amazing thing. Jesus, as he's preparing in this moment to wash his disciples' feet, even the ones that are going to betray him, it says, He loved them to the end. Jesus is loyal. Man, I love Jesus. He's in Matthew 9. He's eating with Matthew, the tax collector. People are coming around to him. They're saying, Jesus, why are you eating with this guy? This is crazy. Why are you eating with him? And Jesus is like, hey, man, shut up. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the passion. The Josh is very passionate about the scripture translation. Uh, <laughs> but right? He defends Matthew. Right? He's like, I didn't come to call the righteous. I called the came to call the unrighteous. came to call the sinners. Isn't that funny? They kept saying Jesus is a friend of sinners as a way to put him down. Man, if I could have anything on my tombstone, Josh, friend of sinners, would be pretty rad. I'm in for it. I'm here for it. It sounds awesome, right? 
He doesn't let it. He, he, he's loyal to his friends. He doesn't go like, oh, shoot, really? Oh, my gosh, he's a tax collector? <sighs> yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, it's going to hurt my image if I'm seen with them. It's going to hurt my people are going to think about me. What are people going to say behind my back? If they see me sitting with them, well, I, 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 we just can't hang out. It's going to hurt me. It's going to hurt how people in the office see me if they see me with you. He was like, nah, don't, wor don't worry about it. Trust me, you got enough to worry about Pharisees. In John 21, Peter denies him. Could you imagine you're being led to being executed, and you're like your homie who was like, man, I'll do anything. I'll help you bury a body, bro. Like that kind of friend. Anyone have that friend who's always bringing that up? Like, I'd help you bury a body. It's like, no, don't. If there's bodies, we're calling the police. Right? Like, like we're getting the cops involved. Like, not, we're not burying dead people. Right? But Peter was that guy, just unnecessarily bring that up. And then in the, like the prime moment when he could have just really shown up, he was just told some, he was scared of some little girl who thought that he knew him, even though like everyone knew that he knew him, right? He was ashamed. Could you imagine the other disciples saying like, man, you can't bring him back in the fold, right? Like he blew it. You can't bring him back in. He's scared of little girls. How is he, how is he supposed to lead the church? He's the rock? Scared of little girls? Right? But what does Jesus do? He restores him into relationship. He does not write him off. He doesn't allow the evil actions to continue. He doesn't justify his behavior. Right? Again, toxic people is not your excuse to be the worst. But he's committed. See, the problem in a media-dense culture, and I see it especially in the younger generation, is a embarrassment and shame can happen to you at like any moment. Everyone has a phone. Everyone can share information. They can text about you. You could be in a group text over here. Then there's like a whole other group text that doesn't have you in that group text that's texting about you. I don't know, right? That's crazy. And yet we live in a generation that is functioning that way, that, that young people especially do not feel protected in their relationships. Hear me, spiritual friendships are important because we protect each other. We're loyal to each other. When someone says, well, you know, I'm sure having, I'm really having trouble with this person, and, I, and I, it's like, well, you need to go tell them. If you're not talking to them, you're not having trouble with that person. You're having trouble about that person. Trust me, go deal with them. Now you'll have trouble with them, <laughs> and you'll have to work through it. I find so many people are afraid to have real conversations on friendship because they've tried to in the past, and the friends were not loyal. They said, listen, I just don't want to deal with this. I'd rather go somewhere else. Spiritual friendships are loyal. Man, I don't know about you, but I want a friend I can count on. I'm the kind of person, I'm only having friends that I, I can count on. And that was Jesus, that spiritual friendship. And it's important that we can count on each other for the reason that there's many elements of spiritual friendship that come out of being loyal and committed and consistent and faithful. And one of them is that spiritual friends teach one another. They teach one another. They're not stagnant, they teach. John 15, 15. Jesus says, I don't call you servants anymore, for the servant doesn't know what his master's doing. But I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. I love that. Jesus says, listen, I'm learning things from the Father, and I'm revealing them to you. That's a model of spiritual friendship. I'm learning about God, and I'm sharing it with my friends. Are you with me? I'm learning about God, and I'm sharing it. I'm learning about God, and I'm living out the Scripture even in my own struggle, and I'm sharing it with someone else, and vice versa. I think, church, so many people are so afraid of being like Jesus, 
Jesus freaks, the old DC talk term, or, you know, geeks for Jesus or that Jesus guy, that we will talk about anything before we talk about Jesus. Can I just say, dang it, right? Like we have a collective like, ah, we missed it on that one, right? Because I love Jesus, right? It's the most important thing in my life. It's the most transformative thing in my life. Right? If someone goes to a new workout routine, you know what I hear? Oh, pastor, you have, to, you have to come to workout place X. And that's no knock on that. I love that. You're passionate about it. When someone goes on a diet, they're like, if you're not eating just butter, then you're screwing yourself. Right? And I'm like, what? <laughs> but there's passion. There's no knock. Have fun on your all-butter diet. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I'm assuming that's wrong. Right? <laughs> But I understand the passion. I understand the passion. We talk about sports. I'm also upset at the quarterback situation in some of my favorite teams. Actually, all of them, right? And I want to talk about it. But that is not the most empowering thing in my life. It's not the most important. It's also not the most unifying. See, when I begin to speak about Jesus, it actually unsilos my life. It doesn't matter if you're a Cardinals fan or a Seahawks fan, if we're a follower of Christ. It begins to unsilo my life. We become siloed people because my social media feed is just one consistent thing of everything that looks like me. And so I begin to think that friendship means you have to have the same interests. And we become these very siloed individuals within a group. And I just love the fact that today you could all leave and connect on something because you're all here together and we're all talking about Jesus together. That you could leave and go talk about Jesus with anybody in this room. You could go have lunch and talk about Jesus Christ. You would have a beginning, a root, a friendship. That's amazing. Right? That is incredible. That we can sit down with somebody and say, here's what I'm learning about God. Someone can say, even, even I think that might be wrong. <laughs> you say, oh, well, can you help me? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Let's get another friend, right? Church, we can have different backgrounds, different teams, different careers, even, I'm going to go as far to say, different language. But when we are united by the goodness of God and how we walk it out, friendships can pop up everywhere. Friendships, spiritual friendships can pop up anywhere. Because not only do friends teach one another, but this is another part that's so important. Well, we got to go deeper. We got to get beyond the really good stuff that's on the surface. It's like if you like cake, you don't just eat the icing, but the icing's good. Football's good, but we got to get deeper than that. We got to get into the cake. This is important. Spiritual friends correct one another. Spiritual friends, not random strangers. <laughs> important, important caveat. Spiritual friends correct one another. In Jesus' ministry, Jesus says, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna pass away." Peter says, no, you're not. Very serious, right? No, you're not. And Jesus pulls out the boring company flamethrower and just roasts him in front of he, he corrects him. But in my opinion, he absolutely torches him. It's amazing. He says in Matthew 16, 23, he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're, <laughs> oh my gosh. God, I mean, right? <laughs> At this point, Peter recognizes him as Lord. Could you imagine? That would be a stressful moment. Could you imagine that the God of the universe just called you Satan? <laughs> I 
stressed, right? I don't know what the rest of the day, I don't know if you're a play situations back in your head kind of person, I would be playing this situation in my head. I have to come to the next day and be like, I'm so sorry, Lord, I don't know, right? He says, get behind me, Satan, you're a hindrance for me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but listen to this, but on the things of man. Jokes aside, that's a powerful correction, and it's one that spiritual friends can do to one another, correct? Because there is an understanding that we are pursuing the things of God together, and what you have said is counter to the principles of the kingdom. Spiritual friends love each other enough to correct one another. This is the hardest thing about being a pastor semi-recently is that everyone I talk to is right. And so they're like deeply offended by correction. And I don't have the heart to say it's literally my job to, <laughs> to say here's how we're walking towards Christ together, right? And it's like as gentle as possible, like we're walking towards Christ together. There's an inherent understanding when you are a believer is that I am not perfect and it requires others to grow towards Christ. So it can't happen outside of relationship, of course. That would be highly offensive. But within relationship, there does have to be an aspect of agreeing that we are working together towards Christ and none of us are perfect at it, right? That we're growing together, that we correct one another. But we get so offended by correction. And so I just have to say, if you don't have people in your life who are offering biblical correction, your relationships are out of balance. That is a dangerous place to be when you do not have somebody who semi-recently has said to you, hey, I'm noticing this aspect and not out of trying to lift myself up or put you down, but because I love you, I'm having this uncomfortable conversation with you to say, hey, I really believe that, that this is inhibiting the freedom of the life that God has called you to. Nobody likes having those conversations. If you do, you're crazy, right? But man, aren't those freeing? I mean, I, I, I have coaches who have those conversations with me who sit down and go like, hey, man, like, this is something where I think we really need direction emotionally to guidance. And, man, it is, it's life-giving, amen? amen? We need correction in relationship. We need Christ-based correction because the human heart is deceitful. We need friends who challenge us, who call us to be accountable. To be honest, it's a blessed place to be. But it can happen randomly. It has to happen within spiritual friendship. There has to be an agreement of everything before, right? There has to be loyalty. There has to be love. There has to be commitment. There has to be encouragement. Why? Because if your friendship is just correcting one another, that's a drag, right? That's not fun. <laughs> that's not encouraging. You're like, oh, I know what we're having coffee about. You're mad at me about something. I'm like, no, nah, I just want to know how life's going. I want to encourage you. And part of that is because spiritual friends share their burdens with each other. So yes, we correct, but importantly, it's in the process. That correction is occurring as we're sharing burdens with each other. Are you following me? In Jesus' last moments, he's weary. He calls together his best friends. And in Matthew 26, 38, he says, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Man, that's a spiritual friend. I feel so sad that I, I could die. Would you just sit with me? You know what I love about spiritual friends? Sometimes being all those things I mentioned, you're totally silent while you do it. You just sit there with someone. And you're like, yeah, things are hard. I'm just going to be here. I'm just going to watch with you. And we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to move. 
See, to be spiritual friends, we have to share our emotions, our deepest emotions, our deepest needs. To be spiritual friends, we have to be honest and transparent in our struggles. And that's the beauty of spiritual friendship. We don't just sit down in our struggle and say, oh, well, I guess everything's awful. We bring our weariness to God in prayer. But if we're being honest, sometimes, and I know he's right there, but sometimes that distance between me carrying my burden and God with his goodness and sovereignty, it feels really far, right? Like it's, he's so close, but sometimes in my spirit, he feels far. He feels distant. And what I love is that a friend's not taking my burden upon them to carry it forever. They're lifting me, and we're taking our burdens to God together. Spiritual friends, we, they lead you to the Lord. They say, let's go to God together. Man, you look beat. Let's go to the Lord. It's not for you to carry. So we bear each other's burdens, but what that means is we bear each other, and we lead each other to the Lord. Can I just encourage you? If you need an aim this month, a goal, can it be that? Who can I lift up and help lead to the Lord? They're limping. They're weary. I see them on the side of the road, and I pick them up, and I put them over my shoulders, and I say, we're going to God because I know someday I will be weary and on the side of the road, and that person will be healed, and they can lift me up and say, we're going to the Lord together. Doesn't that sound good? Is anyone tired of carrying the load themselves? Is anyone concerned that so many people just said yes? Right? I am. I'm concerned. I'm concerned for you. I'm concerned for our nation. I'm concerned for our churches and our cities. That so many people are going it alone. I, something's got to change, church. Something's got to give because we weren't meant to go it alone, we're meant to bear each other's burdens, but it takes a choice of saying, I'm going to invest into spiritual friendships. I'm going to make spiritual friends. If you're tired of going it alone, can I encourage you, make spiritual friendships intentionally. Because one of the blessed things about spiritual friends is that spiritual friends encourage each other. Someone say, encourage. Come on, spiritual friends encourage one another. They encourage each other. And Jesus says to his disciples, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. In the world, we start speaking in tongues. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In John 14, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus is an encouraging friend. Say, listen, I'm here for you. I believe in you. Believe in me. Spiritual friends are encouragers. Yeah, yeah, we challenge. Yeah, we guide, we correct, but we encourage. See, people call you out. Spiritual friends call you up. They strengthen, they encourage, they, they speak joy in life. They lift your head to see the joy of life. They say, I know you're down here, but, but lift your head. Look up, look at what's possible through God. Look at what's possible in the Spirit. Look at how He created you to be. Look at how He gifted you. Look at how He's moved in your life. They're encouragers. Really, if you're a spiritual friend, it's amazing. You're a channel of God's grace to somebody else. You're a channel of God's grace to somebody else. You encourage others to press on. You challenge them to be their best in Christ. And then you draw strength from each other as each of you is drawing strength from the Holy Spirit. See, it's a blessing to not only be spurred on, but to also spur on others. 
When we say more is possible, we say we're created to be, it's because we believe that we all need spiritual friends. You were created for them. You were called to them. You were gifted with them. And I just feel like a collective understanding needs to, needs to burst forth like the blossoms of spring and say we all need spiritual friendships. We need friends who are close to us. We need friends who understand us, who encourage us, who counsel us, who carry our burdens with us. We'll even get in our face when we're being disobedient or harmful. Amen? We need friends who care if we're becoming more or less like Christ. We need spiritual friends who encourage and help us submit to God's sovereignty. We need people who come alongside us and remind us that God is in control. We need people who remind us God is good. We need people who help us discern God's goodness, especially when life is hard. We need spiritual friends who help reveal the sin in us that's hurting us, our family, or preventing us from community. But church, I just, I think we got to be honest here that many of us do not have these spiritual friendships. I spend a lot, you know, I don't spend one-on-one time with women, but one-on-one time with men. And most of the men I talk to do not have spiritual friendships. No one knows them. They have acquaintances, work buddies, fantasy football friends, random people they text, but not spiritual friendships. No one knows their heart. No one knows their hopes. No one knows their dreams. No one knows their fears. And unfortunately, because of that, they don't know how to take spiritual advice because they don't have anyone giving it to them. So when it comes to navigating the massively important matters of faith, life, and eternity, many are frozen and uh, more often offended by or disinterested with advice that could heal and empower them. And men or women, I I just got to say, I think we need to change. The current path is not working. Statistically, it's not working. Culturally, it's not working. It's like, I feel like we just need a collective moment as a church where we go like, no one can be happy with the amount of friendships that are existing in culture, right? Like, just collectively, just like a collective cultural nod where we go like, there's no way that this is okay, right? Do Do you sense that? Do you sense that, church? It's like we have to recognize that some of you, you're just naturally friendly. It's working for you. But collectively, statistically, half of you don't have friends. That means if you look around this room, you're most likely to make eye contact with people who feel like I don't have deep spiritual relationships. That has to change. I didn't mean for this to be like a state of the union address. (laughs) But I feel like it just is. It's naturally unfolding by the power of the Holy Spirit because something in us collectively is going to have to change and recognize that we need to do things differently. We need a time where everyone in the church kind of in one week collectively says, I don't exactly know how it's going to be lived out. I don't know how it looks in my schedule. But collectively we go, we need a fresh start relationally. It's been a hard two years. It's been a hard season. We need like a reboot. Unplug us, plug us back in, give us like a fresh doo-doo-doo-doo, right? Something fresh, just reboot us. We can all collect, because if one of you says, yeah, I need spiritual friendship, and nobody else returns your text, guess what you're not going to get? Spiritual friendship. This is going to be you texting the ether. Right? How many of you sent a text recently? You're like, yeah, I'm going to make a friend. You text someone, nothing. And then like two and a half weeks later, the person's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I just, I meant to return your text and I never did. It's like, that's great, but we're not friends. Right? There's an objective here. So the question is, what do we do? How do we develop friendships? We don't just want to live in tension, right? How do we develop friendships? Let me give you a couple things. Ready? This is it. Then I'm done. One, receive the friendship of Jesus. 
Man, it's hard to do anything else until you do this first part. We got to receive the friendship of Jesus. Like I said, it's foundational. I'm going to say it every week. It's foundational. When we allow ourselves to understand Jesus' friend, it changes everything. All that we're giving has to be rooted, right? We just had a big old tree blow down out here. You know why? Because it didn't have good roots. We got to be rooted. We got to be rooted before we start feeding other people, before we start branching out. We got to be rooted. Got to be rooted in Christ. If you've not received that friendship of Jesus, if you've not said, yes, Jesus, I surrender my heart to, to you and receive your love and salvation, can I just encourage you, stop stealing from yourself. Stop robbing yourself of hope and healing. Receive what God has given you. Receive the love that's for you. Receive the unconditional love. Then you can begin to give it to others. But can I just encourage you, receive it first. You're not going to, like, make God happy by making friends at church. That doesn't work that way. You've already made God pleased because you're his child. Everything comes from that. The second thing, importantly, is invite the Holy Spirit to heal our hearts. I think a lot of our current hang-ups with spiritual friendship is informed by past spiritual friendships or past friendships. If you have been hurt by friends then a very natural and reasonable response is to keep other people at an arm's length and show them what you feel comfortable showing them, right? Human experience. Can I just encourage you, whether it's pride or fear, a lot of people will not let people into their life, which is unfortunate because to be friends, you have to weave your life into, life into other people's lives. That's the reality of friendship, right? So many of us, I, I think, and, and I want to be very gentle but firm in how I say this, is we have to repent of self-protection, and we have to just say, Holy Spirit, would you heal my heart? I, I don't want to carry this bitterness against people anymore. I don't want to carry these experiences that limit me. I don't want to carry this insecurity. I don't want to carry this anger. Holy Spirit, heal my heart. Can I just tell you, he will. He will heal your heart. If you ask him, God, to begin to do a work in my heart, he will not deny to, to, to begin that work in your heart and your soul. He will heal. He restores. That's who he is. I have full confidence in that. I don't know what that journey for you is like, but I know that it begins today where God begins to say, let's get into your heart and begin to heal it. And every time something comes up that is an arm's length roadblock, you begin to say, Holy Spirit, heal my heart. Man, I got some experience in my family. I have some abuse. I have some trauma. And none of this is to minimize, hear me, none of it's to minimize what you've experienced but only that when you experience the healing power of God, it is so much greater than you could ever ask or imagine, that it can overcome even the greatest hurts and pains, and God wants to begin that work in your life today. For some of us, I want to encourage you, ask God to open our eyes. See, some of you have just been in like the head down mode. Even before COVID, you're just like, make it through, survive, make it through, survive. And you've started kind of looking around and being like, I am the lone rhino running just straight ahead. I haven't, I haven't looked. I am by myself. I got my career. I got my stuff. I'm going. I'm working. I'm paying the bills. I'm just trying to make it through. And that is not a knock on that by any means. I respect people who have put their head down and made it work over the past few years, right? It would have been totally reasonable to collapse into a ball. And maybe you're a person who collapsed into a ball and you feel shamed about shutting down in a difficult season. And so now you're like, I don't even know where to begin. Can I just encourage you, no matter where you're at, again, there's nothing you could do or nothing you couldn't do that's going to change how much God loves you. And I just want to encourage you, this church loves you. I love you. 
I'm thankful you're here. We are thankful you're here. And whether you've been gone, distant, distracted, we want, I want relationship with you. And there might be a deficit, but I think we can overcome it by the power of the Holy Spirit. But it takes us all going, God, would you open my eyes? Would you give me vision for my life? Would you give me vision for greater margin in my life? Would you give me vision for the people that you've already put in my life? Would you give me visions for the talents and the giftings that you've given me? Would you begin to give me greater vision? Open my eyes to others. There is somebody that God has already begun to put in your supernatural, in your eyesight, right? Spiritual vision. And you're wondering, I wonder if they're going to come talk to me. Like, you've both been here the same amount of time, but it's too long now where you should have learned each other's names. You've, like, been in a small group, and you still don't. You know what I'm talking about, right? There's somebody you've been in a small group, you don't remember their name, right? And so you feel embarrassed. Let's just be honest, church. You feel embarrassed about asking them what their name is because, like, you've been to their house, right? <laughs> come on. <laughs> Let's be honest. There was way more of them in first service, apparently. But we've all been there. We've all been there, right? <laughs> all of us. But can I encourage you to invite God? God, open my eyes. And it might be worth it going to someone and saying, hey, you're going to hate this, but um, I forgot your name. But I just, I long for deeper relationships. And God keeps bringing you to my mind. And I, I would love to just hear what God's doing in your life. And I'm willing to look dumb enough to say that to you and begin this relationship because I want to believe in great things for your life. It might be worth it. Just saying. It might be worth it. Look dumb for 20 seconds, have a friend for 20 years. You don't know. might be worth it. It might be worth it. God, give me greater vision. And finally, and band, you can come up. This is my final, this is a kingdom principle. Place it on the altar. Place it on the altar. Here's the kingdom principle. It cannot be multiplied until it's surrendered. It cannot be multiplied until it is offered. Jesus, and even speaking about the kingdom in his own life in John 12, 24, says, Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Verse 25, says, Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus is teaching a principle to his disciples. It's not just enclosed within his own life. It's a principle of the kingdom that we see time and time again. We see it in the miracles. We see it in the working of Jesus. We see it even uh, in the Old Testament. Is that when we try to hold on to something, it does not multiply. If you hold on to your life, right, then you lose it. It's just, it's gone. It's done. It doesn't multiply. It doesn't create more life. Jesus, right, he laid down his life. And his life is multiplied to all of us through the resurrection and the gospel. If he had held it and not laid it down, well, we wouldn't be here. Look at the miracles, the fish. When did it multiply? In the hands or in the handing, in the giving, in the offering? It multiplied in the offering. Where did the wine multiply? In the pouring, in the going, in the doing. Where does it multiply? It doesn't multiply in the grasping onto it. When God calls us to give, where do our finances multiply? Not in our bank account before giving. They multiply in the giving. Right? Where do our talents multiply? Not in the holding them within ourselves, in the using of them. Right? So, 
How does our time multiply? How does our time multiply? Well, it's finite. All resources are finite. <laughs> There's no renewable resource. They're all finite. Even the sun is finite. Someday it will be gone. Our time multiplies in the giving. Here's the truth of the kingdom. You will never have time for spiritual friendships until you give time to spiritual friendships. And then you have to trust God will honor your sacrifice by giving you more time. Now, not more hours in the day. The day's only gonna have so many hours unless you're like Joshua and the sun stands still. But there's parts of your life that take time, are difficult, are struggles. There's parts of your job, there's parts of your experience that have surrounded and exhausted you. You go home tired. But if I take my time, an hour of time, it's not a great deal, I take an hour of time and I seed it into the kingdom, I'm going to believe for a harvest of relationship. I'm going to believe that God's going to honor that and see that he will. I'm going to go as far to say, I will be shocked if you do that and do not see a harvest. Because it's such a kingdom principle that as I begin to offer it, it begins to multiply. So I just don't have time. I just, I, all my time is accounted for. All my sheep are accounted for. Great, take the best one and offer it to God. And see that he will not move. See, that's a heart principle. If you wait to have enough talent to do anything for the Lord, you'll always be waiting. If you wait to have enough money to give, to, to pour out and to walk in obedience of tithes and offering, you'll never will. And if you wait to have enough time to develop spiritual relationships, you never will. Know that. You never will. But if you choose the sacrifice of your time and trust in God, which is what it's all about anyways, right? See that he will. Say, well, I have anxiety. You need to lay it down on the altar. Well, I have fear. Lay it down on the altar. Well, I have worry. I have doubts. Lay it down at the altar. I have my schedule. Lay it down at the altar. When you give them to God, God honors and God moves. It moves his heart. So I'm going to encourage you today. You might be thinking of spiritual friendships and think, man, I don't even have an hour a week for a small group. I even have an hour a week. Can I just encourage you? You won't. You won't until you offer it. You won't. But when you do, see that God will multiply. And church, I've already said, man, we got we to gotta change something. I believe the change doesn't come through human will or work. It comes through trust in God and belief that the Holy Spirit will move. And so if you believe that the Holy Spirit can and will move, then I'm going to invite you to make that choice today. Would you stand with me this morning? And as you do, would you bow your head and close your eyes? I just want to move into a moment of response. The band's going to lead us in this song that Jesus is a way maker. And some of us very clearly today, you need to believe that Jesus is going to make a way in your life to build relationships. You have some hurts, you have some struggles that you need God to minister to. But I want to begin with two decisions because there's something about making that choice and declaring with our, with our heart and with our mouth that is so crucial to following Christ. And the first, with our eyes closed and our head bowed, the very important and first decision for those who have never experienced the hope and healing of a new life in Jesus and who are here to say, releasing the anxiety of trying to prove myself, be the God of myself, and I long for relationship and eternal life with the Most High God. And today, Jesus, I give you my life, and I receive 
new life that comes through you. If you're here today and you want new life through Jesus Christ, you need to know that if you make that choice, the old is gone, the new has come, and the friendship is yours, and the hope and healing is yours today. So if you're here today and you're saying, Jesus, I want you as my Lord and Savior and my friend, would you do me a favor and just right now lift your hand up and put it back down. I want to pray with you today. We pray over your life today. And God, I thank you that if anyone is in you, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, which means through you we are given new life. And so we praise you today at the decision that is made. It says, Jesus, I choose you. I declare you. I speak you as my Lord and Savior. I declare with my mouth and believe in my heart that you are Lord and raised from the dead, and I receive the hope and healing that comes through you in your name. Okay, the second thing, just stay in that posture wherever you are before the band leads us. Like I said, man, the key is placing it on the altar. There's practical steps. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how we, how we connect with others. We're going to talk about, you know, small groups and, and all these opportunities we have. But I believe it's a heart choice before it's a hands choice, before it's a walked out decision. It begins in our heart. In order to do that, there's some things in your heart that you need to place at the altar. And I know for physical reasons, not everyone can come to the, the physical altar. So you could do it where you're at. But I do think there's something powerful about coming up to the altar and saying, God, I give you my bitterness. I lay it at your feet. God, I give you my schedule and I trust you to do a miracle in it. Honestly, it needs a miracle. I'm already overwhelmed. I can't imagine being responsible for one more person, but I know that you do the miraculous. And so you need to bring that to the altar. So if that's you here today and you're saying, yes, God, I need deeper relationships. And I know that begins in the heart, so I bring you my heart and I place it on the altar. Then here's what I'm going to invite you to do, just symbolically to come forward to the altar right now and stand right here and just offer it to God. And in this moment, say, God, I give you my heart. If that's you, you're saying, I need deeper relationships. I need to release some things in my heart. And I want you to move. Maybe it's very simple. You don't even know what it is, but you're just like, God, I need deeper spiritual friendships. I'm just going to invite you. Come forward right now as the band plays. Just come right up here. We're going to pray for you in this moment. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.